millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 and an interview between a pair of 2005 Ashes legends. Over the course of the next hour, part of the famous bowling attack reunites as Steve Harmison sits down with his old teammate Simon Jones to discuss the highs and the lows of a short-lived career in the game. For more content like this, as well as match highlights and in-depth analysis, you can subscribe to the following on podcasts available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. But for now, you're listening to Steve Harmison in conversation with the former England bowler, Simon Jones. First of all, thanks for coming on. Talk to no, you. no worries. The game of cricket was probably in your family when you were born. The old man played England and, and Glamorgan. Yeah. Um, Talk to me about your upbringing in the game of, of cricket, standing on the side of the field, potentially being at Sophia Gardens and, and, and the club scene and where you learned the game of cricket. Uh, yeah, I was I was lucky, obviously, to have my dad in my life growing up. Uh, look, I, I probably did the same as as other kids. When they, when they were growing up, I played in the back garden with my brothers. Uh, that's where I started playing. Um, got the bug, to be fair. Um, but I loved football before cricket. Played football, just, just wanted to play football continuously. And then I got to a certain age. Um, I was lucky in, in growing up in Wales where I had a head teacher in primary school and an English teacher in, in secondary school where they were they just adored the game. Mm. Um, you know, everyone else was playing rugby, football, etc. Uh, so I had, I had support from them to obviously try and flourish as a, as a cricketer. Uh, so I, I did that. And then I played a game for, for Wales down in, down in Millfield, Millfield School. Uh, I was under 15. We played against their first team. And I, I took six wickets for absolutely nothing. Mm. Ball came out nicely and they offered me a scholarship. So I went down there. Matty Maynard came down and, and signed me up when I was 15, 15 and a half, 16. Uh, I turned pro at that age. But if I'm brutally honest with you, do you know when, like you've been there, done it, you got the T-shirt. My dad had, 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 had done the same. When a parent doesn't put pressure on you yeah. to fall, and they're there to kind of support you because 
as sportsmen and women, they know you're going to have your good days and your bad days. And my dad was always there. He said, look, boy, you can have more bad days than good days. Just enjoy the good ones. And I was very lucky to have that kind of support where he was just like, just go out there and enjoy it. So have him in my early career and, and throughout the rest of my career, to be fair, was, um, yeah, it was a blessing. And yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm similar. I mean, my old man didn't have any sort of cricketing connections. I remember one day at Durham, played a day's player, phoned my old man up the next morning and just asked, because I, I live an hour away from the ground, and I just yeah. for a, just a chat, really. Yeah, you know, what's happening? And he just said, oh, you were lucky yesterday. I thought you bowled you, you bowl well. I says, oh, you read the paper this morning. He went, no, no, I was there. You were there. And he was like, yeah, yeah. I was there. I said, where were you? And he said, well, <laughs> no when you came and fielded like deep backward square. He says, I was just in the stand above that. Yeah. Not fancy saying hello or <laughs> backside or whatever. You know, just, yeah. you, are dead, you know, you're all out speaking. That was, yeah. that was my upbringing. That was my old man. He was the taxi driver. Yeah. Had words to say if I needed it. Yeah. But somebody that it's your own career, and I think I sometimes think you learn more when when that happens. And you mentioned Millfield School there. You went from comprehensive school cricket or second secondary school into a like the, the private school scholarship. Yeah. How do you find that growing up? Where you arguably education changed as well. Yeah, it was it was tough. Huh? Um, look, I was I grew up in a very loving environment, and I had I've got a twin brother. So we were just thick as thieves. You're we always together. And for me then to go away to a school in England, I went to a sixth form house, luckily. So we were all the same age, more or less. We had mm-hmm. upper six and lower six. Um, so we didn't have any of the real little ones to, to deal with. But that first six months was tough. Mm-hmm. It was really tough. Got homesick. Wasn't used to the environment. Do you know when you feel like um, a bit of a poor relation? Yeah. Uh, in terms of the money and the wealth at the school, it was, it was incredible incredible you know there was people who were in superpowers around the world their, their children were going there yeah. um you know Mick Jagger's kids were there as well um, so I was in I was very very much out of my comfort zone mm. it didn't feel as if I fitted in but then once I got into the sporting field I was, I was okay did you feel that helped having the sport that was the you were there for the sport massively massively and to be fair look there was a lot of wealthy people there and I and you know I made some great friends and I'm still friends with them now mm. um so it was, it was a great experience in the sense that it, it helped me grow up. It helped me stand on my own two feet in a sense uh, and, and, and toughened me up, really. I was the only Welsh lad in, in the house, so I got some serious stick. I was going to say, you got um, some stick Yeah, as you can imagine, not as bad as Hoggy stick in the dressing rooms, but yeah. um, it, was, it, was, it was decent. And you know what? It's, it's all character building. It's all part of your, your right of passage, really, as going into it as a grown-up. You know, I, I left there at 18 and I went straight into the professional game. Um, so it was, it was good in a sense that prepared me for you know, having a bit of banter in a, in, a, in a male environment when you went to being a, a pro, really. And you went into that Glamorgan dressing room and it was, it was a winning dressing room. It was a strong dressing room. You know, the likes yeah. of Maynard and, and Hugh Morris were still, still knocking about then. And yeah. you know, characters like Darren Thomas and Dean Koska, who I yeah. got to know and, and played with, yeah. I, mean, I played with quite a bit in my my upbringing. Um, but when you go into that Glamorgan dressing room, it was a bit like playing for Wales. It was we always felt playing against yeah. Glamorgan. You're not playing yeah. against the county side. You're playing against a national team. Did it feel that playing for Wales like you were playing? You were representing um, your your country rather than your county. Oh, enormously. And do you know what? As a, as a kid growing up, once I, I, I got, you know, became better at, at cricket than I was football, all I wanted to do was play for Glamorgan. 
Um, mm. Yes, England was uh, an aspiration, but all I wanted to do was go into that dressing room and, and put a daff on my chest. And mm. do you know what? When you when I first walked into that senior dressing room, I was, what, 16, 17? And you look around the dressing room and you've got Matty Maynard, Hugh Morris, Adrian Dale, Steve James, and Wacker Eunice. Do you know what I mean? You walk in, and you're like, oh my good God. I've seen these guys on TV and now I'm actually sharing a dressing room with them. I don't know whether you felt the same at, at Durham because you had some you know, serious players there as well. But it was a little bit, bit I was a bit overawed at times. Mm. Didn't really say much. Uh, you know me, I'm quite shy. But I was brought up to respect my elders. So I was I was very quiet at that time. I spoke when I was spoken to. And mm. the, you know, the older lads would rib me saying I would speak and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they were calling me the mute. Um, but you know that's part of the, that's part of the the banter again, and um, you know to to share the change rooms with these boys, you're almost realising a dream. Um, yes, I wasn't there; I was only sixteen, seventeen, but it was the start of something I wanted to to do. In uh, the the one thing a professional sportsman, sportsman, or sportswoman um, always has to deal with and battle with is injuries, and you had injuries, you know, that plagued your yeah. your career and your timeline and stuff like that, yeah. and. Growing up, trying to become a fast bowler, you had a body of an athlete. You had a you 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 looked at me and Hoggy, and you you just looked at me and Hogg and think them two have had just had burger and chips. You look at <laughs> Simon and Simon's had a salad. Simon, <laughs> Simon is yeah. This guy. That's why you. That's why you got the modeling contracts, and me and Hoggy got the watching ring contracts. And to be fair. Did you think that was a hinder to you when, you know, because you were so, you, you, your body was so well looked after when you were a young kid? Yeah, I think I, I look back and there's, you know, do I look back and think, could I have changed the way I prepared for the, for the games? I think I could have um, spent a little bit less time in the gym and, and done a lot more bowling. Mm. Um, you know, I used to look at someone like Steve Watkin. Uh, you know, he had a thousand odd first class wickets and never really saw him in the gym. He used to run. Uh, and he used to bowl and that was it. And my dad used to go spare because mm. he was old school. He played in the 60s and that's all they would do. He'd say, I'd turn up the pre-season, stone overweight, stone and a half overweight, and I'd bowl myself fit. Dominic Cork was very similar when I was at Hampshire. Mm. He he refused to go in the gym. Ian Brunschweiler, who was the, the S&C at Hampshire, used to hate it because Cork, he was like, no, I've played the game. I'm 42 years old. I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And he would just bowl. He, he Obviously, bowl like absolute meds he bowled probably 65 miles an hour in his first net but then obviously the speed increased as the months went on so yeah if I look back I would have liked to have maybe bowled a little bit more plenty more to come from Simon Jones including what it was like to make his England debut and how a major knee injury started to affect his career you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 as part of the following on podcast You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 as part of the following on podcast and Steve Harmison in conversation with his former England teammate Simon Jones. Over the next part of the programme, they discuss Joe's breakthrough to the England team and a horrific knee injury that he picked up in Australia in 2002. As a kid going into that, that, that Glamorgan dressing room, you had highs and lows, up and downs. You, know, you get 
to a point where there's talk of England come calling. We go on the Academy 2000, I think it is, when we go to Australia. Is that the first time you think, hold on here, I potentially could play cricket for England here because you didn't play a great deal of representative cricket from age, age uh, group cricket when it comes to that. Now that I got picked on an under-19 tour and I spent a fortnight there and went home because I just didn't like being being away from yeah. home. And that, yeah. like you had the, the injuries that ravaged you. I had that side of it that ravaged me being away yeah. from home. Really, you know, was, was, my, was my trouble. But going to Adelaide and... To be honest, I'm not sure if it was a good thing from the ECB's point of view or a bad thing to the ECB's point of view, putting all that money in our pocket, sending yeah. 16 guys who are educated in the world, shall we say, <laughs> and playing them against a bunch of kids, knowing that we're going to win every time, was yes, it was yeah. going to make them look good, but we forged a good, good bond and a good friendship, which was yeah. going to get us to where we wanted to be four or five years down the, down the line. That academy trip was a, was a great trip for us all, but it was also a good trip for you because we met a bowling coach who understood us. Yeah, totally. And do you know what? I, I look back at yeah, it's 2001. That squad we had, Ham, was unbelievable. Yeah. But do you know what? We, that was probably the hardest six months I've ever worked hmm. in terms of on and off the field. But we had fun as well. That was the oh, big did thing. We? Sunday, afternoon, was... Sunday, Sunday afternoons at Glenelg and then getting up <laughs> for crouch, Crouchy sessions at half, at half six in the morning. Crouch, if anybody that didn't know Robin Crouch, Broadmarsh's best mate, who sadly yeah. passed away a few years ago, which I didn't realise. Oh, no, did he? Okay, yeah. He, nah. he was a professional boxer who was best mates with Rod Marsh, who looked after the England National Academy. And we did a versa climber session, which was basically a mountain climbing session 40 seconds on with a bicycle boxing session 40 seconds off. And you did that at 6.30 in the morning, on a Monday morning, after you'd been to Glenelg. <laughs> The um, the Glenelg uh, Hotel right on the beach from four o'clock in the afternoon and had a good time. So it was literally first floor window. It was like a revolving door for people being sick out the window, wasn't it? People going to work in Adelaide getting yeah. spewed on by England cricketers, and it was just a great time. It was a great time. We, One other thing about had... Crouchy as well. Good thing about the professional boxer who yeah. who basically <laughs> had his first professional fight. I know and he, he gave up sex for a whole year, didn't he? Yeah. He sex for a whole year to prepare for this fight. He got knocked out in the first round. So <laughs> it was, uh, he was a great man. And he, and he got us fit, didn't he? He got us yeah. fit old school. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, he had to be hard, right? Because of that haircut he had. <laughs> yeah. He was like a straight fringe, wasn't it? Nobody was, nobody was going to tell him, though, was it? He looked no. like he had been cut. No. His, his hair was cut with a... Ah, oh, it was yeah. You, you literally, yeah, it was just that mullet, the mullet. But you, yeah. he's, it was, his fringe had literally been cut with a spirit level. It was yeah. literally spirit <laughs> level on, cut the front off, and the and mullet was back. Yeah, and we had the Tuesday night club as well, didn't we? The Tuesday night club was an interesting club. Yeah, that was yeah. that was an interesting month. Um, the crazy horse, Rod Marsh. We, Rod Marsh didn't even know the crazy horse was there till we took him, and then we said <laughs> we denied we'd ever been in there. And then to, yeah. to the, the the girl on reception, you will spy our nicknames and not by our first names. So it was just a fantastic trip. It was a great trip. Oh, it, it was unbelievable. And like the friendships you made as well. And you know, obviously we had Nicky Peng on the tour. Mm. Um, you know, just a, an absolute legend of a human being. Uh, it was obviously yourself, Fred. That squad we had was unbelievable. But it was what well, the good thing was, myself, you and Fred, Ian Bell as well, Straussy, yeah. Swanee. 
all went on to play for England, didn't we? Yeah. No, we yeah. had a, it was, and it was, and it was brilliant. And it was a good up, it was a good grounding because here we all were, we'd all played a very good level of first class cricket. We were, it was probably an ear side that was going out where Rod Marsh had normally looked after kids. He was, it was an under 19 team he had been producing yeah. for Australia. And then, and then <laughs> we land in, it was brilliant. We land in, in the breakfast room on the first morning. Rod Marsh introduces himself because he had never been anywhere, never been uh, seen anybody. He hadn't been in England. And then we weren't allowed butter on our toast. We, we weren't yeah. allowed butter anywhere, weren't we? And then Swanee went and bought a big pack from the, yeah. from the, um, from the local shop and put his name on it. So, yeah, we had a great squad. But we had a squad of characters as well. I remember, um, obviously, Keezy, he, he's another legend and one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. And I remember Richard Smith, who was a fitness guy, used to say, right, you've got a day off each week. And it was from midday on Saturday till midday on Sunday, remember? Yeah. Yeah. And we were all like, we're not having that. We're just going to go out and get blind drunk on Saturday night. You can take us out. We come on a Sunday. And I just remember Keezy rebelling. He hated it, didn't he? Yeah. He just did have no time for it whatsoever. He fell asleep on the beach, didn't he? Yeah. He got out of a cab and thought it was one way. Fell over the wall and just literally <laughs> fell asleep on the beach. Because he was my roommate. I woke up the next morning. I was like, where's Keezy? So go downstairs. Walked yeah. down the front of the, on reception on the, in the Big Brother house. And I, we can't find Keezy anywhere. And all of a sudden, we just see this light and just this body <laughs> on the beach. Keezy had been there for about eight hours with his, he had sand in his hair during do, that. Do you, remember, do you remember, though, when we did that verse climb session? Keezy was in, still in his shirt and his jeans and he had that sand was the on his face. And he was going up and down. But it shows, you <laughs> yeah. what characters we, it shows you what characters we had and Keezy had because literally got him off the beach, went straight into yeah. the, the session. He did the session, no questions asked, bang. Yeah. Viewed everywhere, by and large, yeah. but the characters were there for all, all to see and going forward and moving forward from that, you know, to make your debut at Lords. Oh, yeah. I just spoke to Hoggy, he made his debut at Lords. You made your debut at Lords. That must have been an unbelievable feeling, the history that comes with Lords, but also yeah. against, you know, having the backdrop of your dad playing for England as well. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was nice to have my dad there, especially from to see him in the crowd. I, I spotted him, but thing was I'd never ever played at Lords. Yeah. And I'd only seen it on TV. So I didn't realise how big that slope was. Yeah. Um and when I got there I was what 22, 23 years old. I think it was 22. And to see it, I was like, wow, here we go. And there was external pressure because myself and you were deemed the quickest bowlers in the country. Yeah. Um you probably had the the, the edge on me. But it was just one of those things you kind of felt the pressure. Luckily we we batted first. But I remember the night before the test I was obviously bricking it. And um, Craig White knocked on my door. He said, you're right. No, what a, what a human he is. He's just yeah. a, a brilliant guy. Batman. Said, you feel all right? He said, do you want to come for a pint? So I went down for a pint. <laughs> Ended up having nine pints of Stella. <laughs> 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 night before my test debut. And woke up the next morning a little bit dusty. But when you're that age, you're invincible, aren't you? Yeah, you think and, you're um, well. Just, just, got to the ground, did the warm-up. And then Nass won the toss. Made the right decision for once. And we, and we batted first. And then I just had a little kick. But... Then I sat in the balcony and just tried to soak it in. The noise that I'd never played in front of a crowd that big. Yeah. And just to soak in the atmosphere, uh, look around the ground. And then, you know, to play against India, you've got Tendulkar, Laxman, Dravid, all these legends of the game. It was a little bit of a baptism of fire because I was still young and very raw. But um, I got through it all right, did my side at the end of the game. And then, obviously, you came in the next test, didn't you, at the Trent Bridge? I did, yeah. And that was a... It was a a recurrent thing to be fair yeah. 
Um, I come in for the next test, play the next yeah. test. We both make it on the plane to yeah. Australia. Yeah. Go over to Australia. We've, you know, we've got this now in with the big boys. We take yeah. a, we, t- we take a team. We take a British Lions team to Australia because we take <laughs> about ten players who aren't fit and never look <laughs> like getting fit. Um, yeah. And we try and outwear their characters because we think they are. And then the young lads came to the fore because then there was nobody else. We had to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. NASA wins a toss, decides to bowl first in, in on the flattest wicket in the world. And yeah. everybody ribs him about it and takes a mick of the decision he made and the bad decision that he made. Yeah. But arguably, you're, you're the one that really has a gripe with it because if he doesn't win the toss and bowl, uh, bowl first and bats first, which he should have done, you might not have had the problems you had yeah. with the knee. And he knocks a four. Wow, it's not happening for England. Oh, careful. And he's in trouble. Oh, it's Jones yeah. too. I was about 15, 16 rows up in the viewing gallery. You go chasing that ball. You dive. We see your knee go. Sippy Spriggs got caught. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I've jumped up and I've ran down. Kirk Russell, physio, ran down. Because I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, my, one of my best mates is in trouble here. That is a bad way. And the way it happened, it was, it was from, so from my point of view, that was what I seen. You know, what your thoughts were, I, I, I couldn't imagine. What were you think? what was happening? Do you know what? And I think what hadn't put me in good stead was us playing at the Allen Border Oval. Yeah. Um, if you remember that outfield, it was beautiful, wasn't it? And he slid in it and he just kept on going. So. Yeah. Me being a bit young and, and green, I, I just expected every ground in the in Australia to be exactly the same. Remember, we did a light fielding session the day before, didn't we? Really light. Did, yeah. Didn't do any sliding, didn't, just took a couple of balls, get used mm. to the seats, and then got off. Um, so I just chased that ball, thinking, right, get after it. You know, your beans are going because you're playing in, in a, an Ashes test, and it slid. And I'll never, never forget the pain I felt, Tom. Mm. It was unreal. It just felt as if someone had stuck a knife in my knee. Um, it was that sharp and, and nasty. And then all I remember was holding my knee. And I remember Kirk coming on and I remember their surgeon. I'm not the surgeon, but he was a specialist. And then I remember seeing you mm. and, and Jason Gillespie. And I was thinking, right, I'm going to bother you. And I wouldn't let anyone touch my knee. Mm. Um, I was thinking, right, just get away. And then you carried me off. And do you remember that guy in the crowd? Threw, uh, yeah. Threw, threw a Coke can at you, didn't you? Threw yeah, a Coke, threw a guy can. in the crowd yeah. threw a Coke can at, at you. Call me, we call me, whatever. Yeah. And then he dropped you because I was going to go yeah, in. And drop, I, I was going to go in and drop him. It was just. I, yeah, enjoyed, I, I, I just remember carrying on the front of the stretcher, carrying you. And people have asked me well, what was going through your head there, and I was mm-hmm. like, because I said, "Are oh, you playing the next Test match?" And I was like, the only thing I could think of was how bad how bad you how bad you were i had no no interest in what was going to happen in the future yeah. you know or what was going to happen for the rest of the test match i remember i remember going into the dressing room you came off the off the stretcher onto the bench we all came out and i remember standing by the door for a long long time because the physios were in and everybody else was in and i wanted to come in but i didn't want to come in because the you know, the, the the business end was getting done and then when everybody came out, I walked in and you were, obviously, you were lying, you were, you had a towel over your head. I remember, so I just put my hand on your chest and, and, and that, that feeling there was, it was heartbreaking for me. Can't imagine what it was like for you, but it was heartbreaking for me because of what the academy and what we had all gone through and everything yeah. that we had gone with it. And to see where you were was, 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 was difficult. But I think the strength of character to come back from that and to get to, from, to, to even play cricket again, yeah. never mind play international cricket again, 
that took some doing, mind. Yeah, look, it was it was a dark time after that. I went home for my, my surgery in, in Sheffield with a guy called Derek Bickerstaff. Brilliant, brilliant bloke. Um, I've been lucky with the sur- surgeons I've had. They've all been good guys. Didn't have any airs or graces. It was just straight to the point and got it done. Uh, and then I, it was the longest, probably about 15, 16 months of my life. I was mm. working five, six hours a day, six days a week with the Glamorgan physio. Um, and just did it and I was so set in my goals of right I've got to get back I want to see what I can do um, it was a long old road but you know then I played in that second team game at Panteg and we were supposed to keep it on the down low someone leaked it to the press there was like 60 press on the bank waiting yeah. to watch me bowl and I was just like why do I need this we're playing against Lancashire I bowled Chris Goldfield a beamer by accident. He started crying. <laughs> not a bad thing, to be fair. <laughs> he was on that then, academy um, trip as well, but he yeah. just said, played cards all day by himself. Yeah, yeah, sport Billy. And, <laughs> um, and then uh, managed to get through the game and then got picked on the academy with Rod. Went yeah. to India and got through that. And then, unbelievable, I got called up to play with you boys in, in West Indies. It was so good to get back. Honest to God. Still to come on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, Simon Jones and Steve Harmison look back at the iconic Ashes series in 2005 and those five test matches that changed English cricket forever. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Simple catch, the bow. What a performance. 
You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 and an exclusive interview with the former England bowler, Simon Jones. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. But without further ado, he joins Steve Harmison to look back at the iconic Ashes series in 2005. This is the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. Talked, I've talked to Huggy about the West Indies and talked about times and when it was time, mentioned about making our debut with Goff and Canuck and yeah. having such a, I think because of, I can't put my finger on it, but because I've made our debuts with Goff and Canuck, mm. it was like, see the little bit of needle and the bit of bicker. I was like, I can't be like that. I wouldn't want to yeah. play if I was like that with you or with Huggy or with, Huggy or with, with Fred or anything. And I thought that, I thought we all had a bit of that in us to like, well, well, let's not be like them. We'd be more successful if we, yeah. And we all had our times. We all had times. You know, Jamaica came, then you, you had a, a, a goer, you know, a game in Trinidad. Hoggy got his hat trick in Barbados. Fred got first five for, first five on his career in Barbados. And then we came and we blew West Indies and New Zealand away. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, the knee injury's gone. You're back. This four man attack is just, ridiculous we didn't lose a test match when we all yeah. four were together we didn't play together that often but we didn't lose a test match yeah. and then we go to what is arguably the and, and Hoggy had a great time in in South Africa and then we now go to us to back to Lords we've got Australia yeah. in 2005 and a lot of people's abiding memories of that first test match was the aggression let's yeah. get at them yeah, you know, get in their faces, and we'll take Australia on toe to toe. And the people will say, "Well, where did that come from?" And a, a lot of it came down to the one day game when you decided to throw the ball at the biggest bloke on the Australian <laughs> team and yeah. make a fight with him. And you took Collie as you you took Collie as <laughs> didn't help. Yeah. Tony, what team what being you, threw at, you threw the ball at Matthew Hinn. Well. That wasn't intentional from Jones. He apologises, but uh, Hayden's not impressed with that. Do you know what? It was one of those things where us as a, as a unit, we were so collective and we were all, we all had each other's backs. We wanted to show that we weren't intimidated by these boys because they yeah. just bullied everyone, didn't they? They just yeah. got on the field. Now, what a side that was they had. It was unbelievable. Um, for them, they just went out and, 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 and like imposed themselves on people. I thought, right, I'm not having it. So I thought, right, I'm throw the ball, as, as we all do. And it came out wrong. He, no, he was like Buzz like you, wasn't he? He's a big lad. He, he's got the biggest chest I've ever seen in my life. And it's hit him. And he's turned around. And I thought, oh, here we go. And he said, what the did you do that for? So I'm walking down then to do an apology. And then <laughs> Collie's come in and said something. I don't think he understood Collie because he just stared at him. And then Strauss, came in with a posh I've never heard in my life. <laughs> and then you and, you and Fred started coming in. And that's when... That's when Hayden thought, well, nah, I'm all right. I just turned back around and, and he walked back down the wicket. But it was one of those things where it, it did, it got the crowd going, didn't it? Yeah. The it got the crowd it. going, but it got, I think it got people talking about, yeah. we're not going to sit down. We're not going to yeah. back down. And then we get yeah. to Lords. So we get to Lords. Well, that's hit him on the helmet. Another helmet has been hit. All three Australian batsmen have now been hit. Banger gets hit, Ponting gets hit, Hayden gets hit. Hoggy gets Hayden. That's bold. That's a good delivery. I get Ponting. Edged. Gone. Third slip. Takes the catch. The Australian captain is out. Fred gets Langer. You get Martin. Gone first ball. What a 
start for Simon Jones. What a comeback into Ashes Test Match cricket. It couldn't happen any better. Our four fast bowlers, for Vaughan's point of view, our four fast bowlers have all got a wicket. We've got, we've got Australia under the pump. First morning of the first Test Match. Doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. Oh, look. And we just wanted to get out there, didn't we? One of my biggest memories of Lords that, that, that Test Match was walking through that long room. Yeah, and normally you can you know, there's the odd good luck, blah blah blah. What they picked him for again? It erupted, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and the hair's standing on the back of my neck. We all looking at each other, going, "What the hell is going on here?" Yeah. Um, and then Vaughan did his speech, but the best thing for me was I knew we were ready as a group of bowlers. I knew we were just in the peak form. We we could have bowled to anyone, and yeah. I knew we were in a good place. It wasn't a bad thing that we bowled first. Just yeah. wanted to get into them. I I'd have hated waiting in our dressing room. Mm. to get on the field to bowl I'd have hated it mm. um, and it was just great that we got out there and look you bowled speed of light first that you know I, I watched some of the Aussies speaking about that first period on, on videos and that and they were all like they've never seen Hayden get hit they've mm. never seen Ponting get hit in the head and you know you, you, you got straight but after I, him but I also think on that I also my opinion on that is I, I think that's that was when we thought I thought, I thought we've got them not because yeah. they got hit I thought they were they were nervous. They were yeah. nervous. You don't, they don't get hit if they're not nervous. They don't get static if they're not nervous. And I thought that was when we, we missed the trick. Leaving Lords, I thought we've missed this trick here. We should have won this. We this was the test match to win. Yeah. And all of a sudden now we start doubting. And then we go to Edgebaston, and it was like we're not going to get over the line here. Yeah, you know, we're not mm-hmm. going to get over the line. The, I know. I know you dropped that catch with 15 to go. But at what point did you feel? We're not. We're not winning this. We're not going to get uh, 102 I, to 107 to win. Yeah. We've got. we to get two wickets, and you, I think we need 15 when you drop the catch. Yeah. But 107. At what point did you think we're not winning this? I started worrying right when Shane Warne and um, Brett Lee put that partnership together. Yeah. Because uh, they're both dangerous as hell. Warne was so difficult to bowl to. He just hit it in funny places, didn't he? He's so destructive. And Brett Lee could hit a clean ball. And it was just like, when they got to about 40, I started panicking. Yeah. I was thinking, here we go. This is going to be a bit of an arsenic back. But you and Fred were unbelievable that morning. Just bowled and bowled and bowled. That ball he bowled at Clark the night before as well. Oh, Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. Given the moment... Given the batsman and given the match, that is a staggering gamble that's played off for Harmison. He was, yeah. But I, all I remember, right, it was you bowled that ball and Bretley smashed it to Punk, didn't he? And that was me. He, he pointed to you, yeah. He, he, yeah. He, he was right out to you, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, don't miss this. I was going to say, at what, <laughs> what, at, what point, at what point when you when you got it in your hands did you think, thank God I've stopped it? <laughs> yeah, imagine I'd have gone through my legs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never play for England again. Um, but, you know, as I've left it go, then throw it in the gear, right? There was game, nobody oh, backing up. Yeah, don't go over his head. There was nobody <laughs> backing up. We had a seven-two. No, there was nobody backing up. It was crazy. Just, just it was automatic response, you know. But yeah, then obviously it got down and down and down and down after I dropped that catch, and that was the worst I've ever felt on a cricket field. Wait, was it? Well, how was it? How was it then? How was it then when we go to Old Trafford? If there was ever a Test matches lined up for the bowlers. This was Simon yeah. Jones and Andrew Flintoffs because this was where the ball was going to reverse, reverse yeah. swing. And yeah. you just didn't disappoint. Come to second innings, you get you got six for. And 
I, I still say to, to this day, if you didn't get cramp at the end of that day, you, yeah. we, we would have won. Because I, Vaughn yeah. has to bring me back and my legs have gone. Fred, yeah. Fred's, gone, Fred's gone, Will. Hoggy's legs have gone, I've gone. And it's a case yeah. of... But during that spell, the noise of the wicket when Michael Clark left that ball, yeah. it was just, it was just, it was deafening. Was, even now, I can still hear it. That is very good. The clunk of the stump when he left yeah. it, it was priceless. And that, that was, that was, that was Simon Jones. The emotion of Brisbane going to once. This was the other side of the emotion of yeah. Brisbane. Yeah. I'd always, I always, when I was training and when I was preparing, I'd always think back to Brisbane because I was thinking, right, as a cricketer and as a sports person, I just wanted to test myself against the best in the game, the elite. Yeah. And those Aussies were the elite. I wanted to actually see how good I could be. I wanted to see if I could live with these boys. And so when I bowled Clark like that, because I'd set him up with the away swing and then brought it back and see him just done. And he's just stood yeah. there because he paused for a bit, didn't he? And there was a little bit of a, a relationship there where, you know, he used to get on our nerves a bit because he was just rubbing Shane, Shane one like up to a blanket, wasn't he? Yeah. And you just watching him all the time. He's a hell of a player. But to get him like that, I, I've seen that video played back and I, there's an old couple in the crowd, right? And you can see them hugging. And I'm yeah. thinking, what we've done as a team, and like when you bowl at Lords or whatever, all the way through the series, we've given people memories, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, that was definitely. the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Um, just to see that old couple, of, I don't know if they talk about it. I don't know if they're still alive, but yeah. um, just to see people's reactions was yeah, it was, it was amazing. Well, that was the that was the that was the day where ten thousand people got locked out of a test yeah. match in England. So that tells Did you. Did you how, drive down a hard shoulder? <laughs> I had to drive down. I had to drive down for a mile because I was late again. Me and Gareth were late again. <laughs> Fletcher's giving me wrong again for being late, and I'm driving yeah. it for about a mile down on the hard shoulder trying to get in. I thought it was actually yeah. honestly, I'm driving on the ground and go. We're thinking there's a bomb bomb scare. There's 10,000, mm. there's nobody going in the ground. And when we got in, we realised, wow, everybody's... When have you ever out. warmed up in front of a full house? I don't Never, think any ever. have. I, I, I don't think I, dreamed, I, I was playing football at Old Trafford in front of 25,000 people. Unfortunately, I was on the <laughs> cricket ground and we, 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 <laughs> this wasn't a theory of dream. But, <laughs> and we go to, we go, we go to um, I love telling this story, we go to, to Trent Bridge. Oh, here we go. And we've bowled come through you've got again Simon Jones is to the fore again reverse swing comes we knock and you knock um, you knock Australia, Australia over and I remember Vaughan getting us in a huddle and going right what we're going to do and bowlers what do you think we're going to make them follow on and following on was unheard of you yeah. just didn't make anybody follow on. Everybody. I don't think they had, did they? The Aussies no, hadn't done it had, ever. Nobody had ever made Australia follow on, but mm. following on was unheard of in the game at the time. And um, Vaughan's gone, bowlers, should we make them follow on? And it was like, yeah, I'm all right. And I remember you going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then literally 20 minutes later, Gary Pratt's on the pitch and we're going, who's off? And I was like, oh, Simon, yeah. he's injured. He's like, what? He's told us we're going to carry on. We're going to out. So only... You were just like our cheer. You became our cheerleader for the, yeah, for the second innings. Um, yeah, I but like I've said many times before, if, if you didn't get injured there, Gary Pratt wouldn't have run Ricky Ponting out because there's no way you would have run him out from from. No, it. no, no. It was one of the things. I had um, I had an ankle problem. that started at the end of the Lord's Test, and I'd had it through. I'd had like three cortisone injections. I'd had like a couple of bone spurs that we were playing at. Um, and I'd had um, a little bit of local anaesthetic. Do you know when you get like your jaw done? Yeah. And that's what my ankle felt like in the end. And I just couldn't run. I couldn't do anything. It was, it was just the worst feeling ever. 
I thought, right, am I just going to break my leg here or do something else? But um, when Pratty came on. Oh, it's out. And in that's out. And he's punching his gun here. It's the 12th man, Gary Pratt, who's uh, hit the stumps with a direct hit. When he picked it up and threw, and then Ponting was what? But that far yeah, shot, when he that in far one shot, match. Yeah. Um, just to see Ponting walking off, though, because that's the first time I thought these boys are rattled, cracked. really rattled. Because yeah. um, Fletcher stood in the back, he's smiling at him. Because Fletcher didn't smile very often. Didn't smile for anybody. Yeah. No. Well, he had a bat in his hand, so he had half a chance of making a making a connection <laughs> with Fletcher. So, he, um, yeah, the boy said that Ponting was shouting up the stairs, wasn't he? He was shouting and swearing, oh. "What you're laughing at?" And it was like, "Well, he yeah. mustn't have been talking to Fletcher." He was like, "What do yeah. you mean?" I was like, "Well, we've played. I've played for Fletch for five years now, and Fletcher's not smiled yet in five years. <laughs> you're getting a crack and a smile out of him walking up yeah. the stairs at Trent Bridge. So, in but there was a lot there was a lot of hooing and hollering about Pratt being on the field but you never played again you never played no. yeah international mm. cricket again after that injury yeah. and there was a there was a, there was a lot of talk about what was going on but just before i mentioned that what was going through your mind standing with a medical boot on watching hoggard walk out to bat and thinking right i'm going to have to take this off and put my pads on now when we need six to win because if if Brettley gets hoggy out Army's not going to yeah. last two minutes against that sort of, and I might have to go out and bat here. Yeah, I was, I was honestly thinking, right, if Hoggy gets out here and Harmy's going down those stairs, I'm going to have to follow him because yeah. there's no way I'm getting out in the pitch on time because I'll get tanged <laughs> out because I'm in my boot. So I was thinking, right, I've got to make a plan here. So if I, I'll follow Harmy down, I'll sit on the fence just in case Harmy goes first pill, yeah. and then I'll have to try and knock my way out. But do you know what? I was, I've seen some of that footage back, and the way him, uh, Hoggy, and Jairo batted. It was, it was incredible, wasn't it? Because Bretley was bowling fast as well. He was bowling fast, and Shane was turning it square. Yeah, and just to watch those two going to work, and you see little Hoggy, his, his hair was sticking out the yeah. back, isn't it? and um, when he hit Bret, um, Bretley for four through the covers, uh, I've never seen I've never seen him play cover drive in my life. I didn't think a bat. I didn't think one of them bats could hit fours in two. I didn't <laughs> think Hoggy had it in him to hit a four because he just blocked it. I think he could have used a signature bat, and it would have gone for the pace he was. Yes, on. exactly. It was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I was, I was worried slightly, Harm. Still to come on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, Simon Jones discussing what he did in the Downing Street Garden and the celebrations after winning the Ashes in 2005. What a performance from these two gentlemen. All time perfect. There it is. England have regained the Ashes. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 as part of the following on podcast and our exclusive interview with the former England bowler Simon Jones. They've already discussed the highs and lows of his short-lived career, but in the final part of the programme, reflect on the famous celebrations in Trafalgar Square as England regained the ashes in 2005. We go finish at the Oval... And then we are Ashes winners. Um, all the accolades that come with it. And the bus trip, we get on a bus at 9.30, 9.30 in the morning, 12, 12, 12 Asbos get on a bus and go around London. <laughs> and I've just mentioned, I've talked to Hoggy about it. And the minute I went round Traf- the corner at Trafalgar Square and seen all them people was the minute I thought, because you've been in such a talking about covid bubbles but you've been in a bubble where you've been detached from it what's happening with the ashes but i realized and hit home what it meant to the people of this country 
when I went around that corner and seen 250,000 people, it was like a pop concert waiting for us, this red bus to go around the corner. To be fair though, Harm, remember when we went out, we were thinking like the night before, why the hell are we on a bus trip? Yeah. No one's going to be there. Exactly. No one's going to come to see us. Now you see all the football teams that win the league or whatever it is, and there's millions of people out. And we're thinking, we're going to have one man and his dog. Yeah. Then we went out and we're like, Jesus. And then Trafalgar Square was just different class. Um, mm. I remember the guy, I don't know who it was, he was going along and he was singing, wasn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, was yeah. It? The long-haired, long-haired Barmy yeah. Army guy. And he's he got was the big... Yeah. Yeah. He's the lads, wasn't he? And he's, then he, he had to me the, and he had the microphone and he, got, and he yeah. pulled it away. Yeah. But he gave it, he gave it to Fred and they knocked it off because he got he got about three seconds through a court in a trap from Elvis and he had to knock it off. <laughs> Fred thought this is my time to start an audition yeah. to be stars in their eyes tonight, Matthew. I'm going to be Elvis Presley. He was on his way. But oh, was, a but question for that. Ask, ask Oggy a question about a serious question about what he said to the Prime Minister. Yeah. There was something else happened in the Prime Minister's garden. Are you going to own up? 30 years, 20 odd years on. Was it you? <laughs> it was me, yeah. It was you. I knew it was yeah, you. Yeah, I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my little mark on the on 10 down ministry. I thought I'd have We we talked about not getting any bad press. We never got any bad press at all from that. And we were in we were in a yeah, in a in a decent state. And it was something that I felt because you talk about Straussy and his posh posh accent and you know talked about we had a, a a whole array of different characters in there but we had a lot of working class northern lads or lads who had been brought up not who were you, what you'd usually associate with english cricket which was the old school yeah. tie private schools university yeah. educated yeah. you know we were northern lads or, or working class educated lads who were acting in a working class educated way who performed ridiculously well uh, and I thought the people of this country warmed to us I think as well Harm as you've just pointed out there I think people related to us yeah and it was it was good in a way but I, I think the other thing that people loved was the fact we all just worked together um, we were just a family um, and they liked the fact that we all wanted each other to do well there was no, there was no needle or anything going around there was no jealousy um, and they knew we liked the beer I think yeah. that's what they liked I think they knew that we would just be normal human beings we got like I remember when we went when at Edgebrass, we were all in walkabout, weren't we? Yeah, we were. <laughs> With the Aussies, I had headbands on, Hoggy had headbands on, Belly did, and we just were the Aussies having a laugh, and they loved it, didn't they? I think I says we thought we were going to be in the walkabout an hour sooner than we actually were. To be fair, yeah, yeah. we <laughs> banned it. We got you got you know, we got the accolades off the back of that, and you know, the MBEs and everything that went that, but we went on a different path and a different journey to Simon yeah. Jones, you know. Some of us went on to India, Pakistan and played and then had a lot more time playing. But like I alluded to just a second ago, Simon Jones' international career ended there and mm. the injuries really started. How did that affect you as a, as a person, as a cricketer, as a person? Because you moved down to Hampshire, you tried different things, but yeah. whatever you tried didn't really seem to get you back on the field for a long time or long enough time to really sort of try and force your way back into that that England side. How how tough was that to get over mentally? Um, it, it was immensely tough. Huh? Uh, I look back and I was taking one step forward, two steps back all the time. And it was just down to my pure selfishness. I wasn't going to give in. Um, yeah. 
if I look back now and people will say, do you have any regrets? Yeah, my, my, my regret, I should have finished in 2006. Yeah. To retire. I, I wouldn't have had the seven years of hell then. Yeah. And just, no, Got on with your 10, life. Yeah, about 10 or 12 new jobs. Definitely is, is cooked now. Um, and I could have just gone on to do something else, but I just wanted to prove people wrong and it, it backfired really. And how is Simon Jones now? You know, what is what is daily daily routine, everything that goes with the, the big Welshman that won the Ashes for England, MBE, Simon Jones, who you say should have had, should have retired in 2006 and got on with his yeah. life. What is that life until now? Life is good. Um, I'm working for Kerry London, uh, yeah. an independent insurance broker. And I've been there over a year now and I'm loving it. It's really good. I'm still, in, still involved in the game, still involved in sport. Yeah. And, and obviously I'm doing other stuff in construction and stuff with their insurances. But I can take a back seat. I'm not coaching. I'm not stuck in a dressing room. I'm not traveling. Yeah. I'm only doing this work and I'm loving it. My boss, Dean Kalaz, is an absolute hero. Um, you know, they've looked after me really well. They've um, introduced me to the, all the staff and they're looking after me and preparing me for what I'm going to do. Um, you can't imagine me sending emails. I know that. Oh, I can't imagine um, you sending emails. Struggling to get on the <laughs> yeah. telephone and mind an email. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm, um, yeah, it's going really well. I'm really loving life. It's, oh. um, I felt as if I, I couldn't find my route in life after I finished. Yeah. And to be fair, the first four years were tough, really yeah. tough. I, I felt lost. But then obviously I met Dean last year through the PCA. Yeah. And just, I haven't looked back. No, oh, brilliant. Matt, I wish you every success with that. And Thanks, Thank you very, very much for spending time and giving your honest opinion about life in cricket and also owning up to the one thing that a lot of people wanted to know. And the answer <laughs> was, yes, you did do it. The question was, urinate in the Prime Minister's garden. There was a lot of things going on in that Prime Minister's garden at that time. Somebody just snuck in the corner and had a little tinkle in the bushes. <laughs> I always said, you can, you can narrow it down a bit. He was from Wales and he was a big fast bowler and he's a beautiful man. Simon, thank you very, very Please, much. Um, thanks for having me, mate. Look after yourself, all right? Our thanks to both Steve Harmison and Simon Jones for the last hour. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast on the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. Thanks for listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.